This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Quip. The Quip Electric Toothbrush has been named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year. See what it's all about and get your first refill pack for free when you head over to Quip.com slash BadChristian. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Yo, Cheetos are my favorite chip. Cheetos are my favorite chip. Bring it in, Joey. Cheetos are my favorite chip. I eat them on the time without the dip. I'm out of practice. Cheetos ain't Christian no chip podcast. anyway. You're just trying to start a debate to start the show. No, it is a chip. Uh, of course oh, it's, it's a totally chip. a chip. Get what in the hell break. are you talking about? It comes in a bag There's with no chips. way to defend that. It's a cheese you, puff is what it is. Are, you, are no. chips a certain shape? Is that what you're saying? That they have a to chip. be? A, there is you, no way to defend this. You always pick Is this a pre-existing argument that I'm going into? It. Is this a pre-existing thing y'all have argued before? Or it's on the internet no, or something? Because no, I can I'm, tell you the answer no, to it. No, I'm eating Cheetos right now. Okay, well, they're not a chip. They're a cheese puff. It's assorted cheese puffs. Crunchy things that come in little bags or chips. Is that how you define chips? Yes. Well, that's not what they are. Chips are a chip. A chip is a chunk of... Taken off of a potato and then fried. It's okay, chipped. Like you literally guess, chip it off a potato. And I it's guess a chip. Matt's. I guess Matt's winning me over. Like I was fish easy and chips. Here, here's here, here's a good example. A French fried potato served with fried fish is more of a chip than a Cheeto is. Southerners even if call it's not crunchy, and even if it's not in a bag. Southerners call soft drinks Coke. Like, hey, can I have a Coke? What sure. kind do you want? Sprite. Right. So yeah, chips, I agree with it. I mean, it's fine are, okay, to express okay, yourself uh, however are, are you want corn, to. Are corn chips like Fritos or corn chips chips? Well, that, are, you, 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 that, that could be debatable, actually. It's actually called corn chips. Yep. <laughs> called Fritos. So, yeah. I'm not saying all chips have what? to be made Cheetos out of Cheetos are made out of cornmeal. Yeah. Oh, no, dang. I, I, I think Toby won me over. I agree, I agree with that, Toby. No, no. I still agree with me. I just think that maybe corn chips aren't actually chips either, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> there is no way to defend it. What is a Cheeto? A cheese puff. something? No, it's got, there cheese are puff. cheese puffs that are puffy Can cheese we, can Chip. we talk about something that's more eternal implications, like kingdom-minded stuff? I mean, this is ridiculous. I can Nobody. tell you what, what I feel like mainly, which is it's this funniest thing that I realized today uh, on my way into the, into the office. I got home late last night from the airport, been at the conference, been on tour, uh, got home, you know, put my bag down, went to bed at about 8 o'clock last night, seriously went to bed, went to sleep at 8 o'clock, got up this morning, straight in here to podcast and take care of a ton of business because I'm so delinquent on right. so many to-dos after being gone from my house for two weeks. And it's the funniest thing in the world is, I'll I tell you what, it's a great thing because I guess, like I'm having a good time right now. When I got here to my office this morning, I felt great. I got up, I dropped George off at school, and it was just like, bam, I'm right back into doing stuff. And I, the only way I can dis- explain that is, I think I've got a good design on my life. Everything I do, I like. I mean, that's kind of what it is. So yes, it's right back to work, and I don't miss a beat, and... That's good because I designed all of my work to be stuff that I like to do. So it's a pretty good feeling. But on the other hand, getting home is a crazy feeling because it's like I, when I get home from tour, I feel like I need a vacation. <laughs> I know. So it I, feels like I, I need a vacation. And my wife goes, I need a vacation. You've been gone for a week or whatever. You know? <laughs> right. I, so we, like I, I cannot. I under, that's exactly the thing. I, I'm in a conundrum because it seems as if my life is just easy and I mainly for my life party 
That's Shut my up, career. Party, my out. career is partying with my friends Show on a off. podcast. Yep. My career is partying with my friends in a band. My career is partying <laughs> at a conference. I mean, it that does we appear that oh, way. You it can't argue that. Way. that. Now, here's the issue. It's fucking exhausting. <laughs> I'm so tired. I am so tired. I feel like I have nonstop been going for two weeks. And that when I get home, my wife, I know she's been going too. You know, she's got the kids running the house by herself, running our family, mm-hmm. working three jobs. I mean, she does a shitload. So I understand that. But it, I do feel a little bit like, man, it, there's no chance that people really ever think it's a lot of work. No, no. Like I was so exhausted you know, from the, good luck the, getting the, sympathy. The, from the, the conference. I know. I'm not trying to get sympathy. I'm not. I'm not trying to get sympathy. But what I would like people people to understand, and my beautiful wife, is I'm almost 42 and I can't do it no more. Hey, let, let me. I, I don't let me know say if I can two keep things going. about this. Me, oh, go ahead, Toby. I'm sorry. Well, what I was going to say is the most people plan a conference and do it, and then they take like some time off. Like when I worked at a church, no matter what. The sun, you know, the week after Christmas, everybody got off, or you know, Easter, or what, you know, they would give you breaks and stuff like that. We did an entire tour, a week, another week of touring for us uh, down in Florida, which was great and was amazing. The shows were awesome, the people were awesome, all that stuff. But like, I got home, same thing to me. I was like, man, I just have to go to sleep. And I, and today, luckily, I had a bunch of emails and stuff I had to send out, so I just sat and drank coffee and just typed my emails because I couldn't go work out, I couldn't do anything. So I was just so tired i'm just i, I just can't <laughs> so and me, i know it's fun I, it, you're right it is fun and i i love getting back and i even am enjoying my life too but there's no chance anybody thinks oh man it's hard to do what you do let me ask you this though is there a chance that you're exhausted because you party too hard like yes it, it, of course that's his job <laughs> he said already told you he's I mean, a hard worker but, right. But I guess what I'm that's saying. His job. I don't half-ass partying if that's what you're asking. <laughs> I, I'm I'm on the clock, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he gives a hundred percent. You can't fault him for that. I mean, because ser- hey, seriously, Toby, when you get home as a 41 year old man, you go to bed early. <laughs> you oh, exercise. Yes. You do you do life the right way for a guy that your age. And so, yeah, I would agree that what you guys do on the road is not compatible with your age, but you could probably tweak some things. (laughs) (laughs) The Uh, only thing I can think of tweaking is maybe reduce some, like, on stage time, maybe not play as many shows. Go to bed? Go to bed? Like, right after the show? I think you're missing the point. I only do a one day conference just (laughs) because, like, yeah. Just slim down the performances. We cannot decrease the cut. Cannot decrease alcohol. That would be, that would probably end our career. You can't you can't decrease like hangout time. I mean, right, what, we can't th- decrease off days on tour no. where we where we party and Those watch the Super important. Bowl. Those are super important to my mental health. And the, so, I, only thing we can do is maybe do a one day conference instead of three. Yeah. That's starting to sound pretty tight. <laughs> hey, y- y'all listen, y'all listen to how different me and Matt's personalities are. I was listening to y'all's in a podcast with TJ and talking about the conference, and I I laughed out loud because Matt said, you know, when I think about it. Joey, he's one of my closest friends. I hardly talked to him at all. I feel like the whole conference went by. I didn't even have a talk. When he's saying that, I was seriously thinking, if you would have asked me that same question, I would have been like, oh, man, it was great seeing Matt. I felt like we had some quality time. (laughs) Like, I seriously felt like the conference was like a bonding time between Matt and I. (laughs) 
<laughs> For real? That's how I little I need from you. people. That's how little I need from people. If that's all you need, man, I can hook you up. I can hook that's you up, man. I, I, mean, I, I just, thought it was a lot more than that that people like you needed. That's why I, just I, felt that's why so, I avoid it. I just felt so warm, fuzzy through the whole thing. Like me, Matt, and Toby, and my wife is there, and we're just doing something special. <laughs> Three jokes with your wife. Two minutes of eye contact and two hugs, and you're good for six months. Yeah. That's, that's I can amazing. do that. Oh, I man. I didn't know it was that's that not easy. so bad. Did, uh, but, yeah, I did feel that way. I was like, oh, my God, there's so many people to talk to. I did not get to talk as much as I would like to everybody. But still, by far, it was the most calm, successful, like, enjoyable inv- event I've ever done, you know, ever done, like, where I was – I wasn't running around. I didn't have to do a lot of work. I didn't have to be on stage a lot. And I got to see so many people. I couldn't believe how many people I did get to see, but it was all relatively limited compared to thinking about the three of us hanging out for a weekend or something. So maybe that's yeah. the what I'm judging it from. But I, I didn't even, we didn't get the chance to like get together at the end of the conference on Sunday night and give each other a bunch of high fives. And we didn't even get to discuss like, holy shit, does I cannot believe we did this. Yeah. That, right. I, that's what I felt was missing. Like, holy shit, we did this. And it was unbelievable. The three of us did not even get to, like, acknowledge that. And pat yeah, ourselves I, on the back. I, I had those conversations with Toby, like, especially, like, as people were lining up, we looked at each other and we were like, we're the biggest dumbasses ever. And we started thinking about when we first met each other. And it's just like, we haven't changed that much. Why We're doing a conference. <laughs> this is crazy. I know. But yeah. you you guys want my input on all this? Y'all yes, know, I do. Y'all, I y'all, yeah. y'all know exactly what I'm going to say. I I'm know a you've been reflecting. I'm a I pastor. I know your ass been reflecting. And, and I can say it in one sentence. Guys, the best is yet to come. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> come on. That's the opposite of the way I always feel. I'm like, well, we did that. Can't ever yeah. expect anything to go that good again. I think every it's big all downhill show, from here. That's what I that's what I think every episode, every concert, everything we do. Joey thinks, here we go. So I think, well, I that think, was that. I think that that was the most instrumental thing that we've done yet as bad Christian to make it really something that we're doing. And what I mean by that is the podcast, three guys talking, maybe a guest, acting a fool. Sure, people like the conversations. They get something out of it, maybe. They get mad. They get happy, whatever. <laughs> you know, we we put out some musical releases, write some stuff, do some side podcasts. But this is the 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 most significant thing that makes it feel like Oh, this is this is actually something real and maybe dare I say important. Like this is actually maybe important and and I, I know we we're scared to death of those sorts of statements. I am too, but at least to the people that were there, it's like, man, we're we're actually a part of something. So that's kind of what I felt like. And it, for me, it was very special having my wife there because I felt like she got to know the people that I've known for a while, the Dan Cokes, Matt McDonald's, and uh, for us to be able to hang out with the Studleys and the Sheltons and uh, the Smiths and stuff, that was a whole lot of fun. Y'all know how I am about hanging yeah. out with people and stuff. But yeah, I, I, here here's a couple. I mean, can we talk like logistics of this thing or? Is, Say whatever you so, want. So two Say things, you want. two things, or two options. I think that it could be really cool to do exactly what we did two times a year, once West Coast, once East Coast. Don't start talking Hold like on. that people think you're, uh, we're going to do something like that. That's we fine. I didn't, got to, I didn't even got to say my reflection Go on ahead. the one we did. I thought y'all did reflect. 
I didn't know you're planning next year. So no, six yeah, months. I'm no, not, well, well, he, I'm not. Here, here's the big thing that has been consuming my mind is I do believe every, that we, do it every weekend. That no, yeah. <laughs> that we could double the size, uh, charge <laughs> a little bit more because I do think and I and I even we had some convers I had some conversations with people and they agreed. This yeah, is what a, every mega pastor before he was a mega pastor said. Everybody agrees <laughs> that it was a steal, and I'm glad that it was a steal. I'm glad people got to do all of that for hundred bucks. But here's the thing: is I think a lot of people would want to jump right into yes. We can go bigger, charge a little bit more, but I think the smaller size is what made it what it was. Now, the biggest drawback of that is we didn't pay uh, Pete nearly as much as what he's worth. We didn't. We're not going to be able to pay Reva near as much as what she did. That's true. So I do feel like if that is a choice that we have to make to go bigger and take care of people better, then I'm willing to do that. Otherwise, I'd rather do three a year and have it capped at 200 because I just love well, the small sales field. shouldn't be a problem. We we got a good model. We didn't even take any sponsors this time. We sold the tickets out right. in one day. Uh, so that's no problem. We spent all the money. I, 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 I'm interested to get the finals, but I'm sure that it came up pretty close to a wash. But it was we knew what the budget was. We wanted to have the event go good. Right. So uh, I'm anxious to find out those numbers, but I'm sure they're within 5% or 10% of above or below the total amount. But um, that won't be a problem. We could have sold twice as many tickets, of course. Now, how big will we like it to be, and what else can we do better? So right. many things. It'll be awesome that I'm you know totally excited. So all that. Just let's not think about it for a while, and then we'll we'll, we'll work on that later. Like I, I have no idea when or where or how often, but let's just soak this in for a little bit because it's very cool to me. Just the yeah, I don't want to jump past this feeling of satisfaction because it it is satisfaction for sure to be part of yeah. something like that and to have enjoyed it as much as I did and to see it do. I mean, it's just it's really something really happened, and it's just. I don't know. I don't need validity or proof of stuff. And the, the main takeaway for me, tell me if you don't agree, is okay. that I realized from not being on stage and not doing all the talking, and then when I heard the words that came out of all the smart people and interesting people's mouths up there, I, I realized that's what we have done. Like, yeah. it was, you know, this thing isn't about me giving you all my explanations on uh, how not to shower or some half-cocked, you know, social idea that I like to be a commentator on for fun. That's just what I think is fun to do. What we've built, what we have is we make people sit through 30 minutes of a story about me dumping pee on myself. And then they get to hear <laughs> a, a, a panel where people are re saying really important stuff. Well, which, that, which, that, which is, I think that's what, we what, yeah, that's the good thing. It's not what we say. It's just the environment that we create by demonstrating. You can, Talk about whatever. It's fine. Just right. everybody chill out. Everybody relax. You're fine the way you are. It's okay. <laughs> I'm crazy. You're crazy. I think stupid stuff. Toby's an ass. Whatever it is. Okay. And now everybody's relaxed. We've created an environment. And that's what the conference was, is an experience. It's an environment we created with fun, goofy stuff. It wasn't a stiff corporate thing. It was just, hey, we're here to chill, have some fun. This is what we've been practicing for 15 years, right. as we were discussing earlier, being on the road. I know what a good environment is that fosters good conversation, learning. Uh, I don't even want to say words like accountability, but some stuff, something like that. It's just creating good, safe, strong environments that are okay with challenging, with okay with alternative ideas, and it's okay. 
And that's what everybody, I think, felt like. And the best part about it is we didn't have to do, it's not the ideas and the thoughts are not ours. I'm so happy that after right. this much time, it's still not about what shit I say. But right. I'm free to say whatever shit I want to. Best, best environment imaginable. This is too good. All right. A lot of folks saw me all decked out at the semi-formal at the BC conference with my Indochino, and I I find that you guys actually listen to these ads because a lot of you wanted to see the interior, my floral interior of my nice jacket, in which I also have on my pocket, it says, Clemson Tigers kick Gamecock ass. It was my personal little secret that nobody saw, but you guys heard about it, and you wanted to see it. And that is just the tip of the iceberg of how awesome Indochino is. Bottom line, the most important thing is that you guys know, and you know, I looked badass. I looked badass. And (laughs) honestly, people that wear Indochino suits, and I know three of them that were there, me, Matt, and Toby, we look sharp, and there's just no way of getting around it. And that's nothing on us. I mean, good Lord knows he didn't give us great looks, but Indochino can make anybody look good. It's been a very awesome personal experience as well with Indochino as far as getting the measurements very simply online. They walk you through it with little videos, and you get a suit that is just for you. You pick your fabric, your customizations, your measurements. And I'm telling you, I've bought a suit before at a store, and sure, they can do the best they can, but that suit was not made for you. With Indochino, it is made for you, and they're the largest custom apparel company out there right now, so I just uh, bet your money on it that they're some of the best in the business if they're one of the biggest. So this week, our listeners are going to get any premium Indochino suit for just $359. If you don't know suits, you don't know how great of a deal that is. If you know suits, your, your jaw's probably dropping right now. Yes, I said it, $359. Go to Indochino.com and enter Bad Christian at checkout. That's 50% off the damn regular price for a premium made-to-measure suit. Am I getting passionate about this? Yes, because this deal is actually really crazy, crazy awesome. So if you need a suit, look no further. Shipping is free. Indochino.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN for any premium suit for just $359. No shipping costs. Incredible deal for a perfectly tailored suit. Yeah, I think, uh, so for me, I got a couple observations. One, uh, no matter what, for me, Jen Smith stole the show. Like, uh, the panels that she was on, and then her, she was the first person to speak at the event, and she was just so great. I hadn't heard her mm-hmm. speak before outside of Joey's podcast, Passion No Answers, which is a great episode, by the way. Um, but she just did so great and just was so welcoming. Like, I I, I don't even know if it, like, we just thought, oh, yeah, we'll have her up, up first. She, that's fine. It wasn't like a planned thing. I mean, we planned in a way, oh, strategic or anything. It's just Jen went first, and then PDNs went second or whatever. But the beginning of the conference was so strong and so good with both of them speaking. I just was like, man, it, it, validified it to me immediately. Wait a minute. These people validated it or validated it. Validated? <laughs> what validified. did he say? He said validified. validified. <laughs> is that not a word? Validified. Well, solidified is a word and validate sol- is a word. But he well, combined validi- them. Yeah, I know. That's what my dad does. Like tremongous. That's what yeah. he said. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm getting there, boys. Um verified so, is also something you may have thrown into the yeah. soup there. Verified. Okay. But uh solidified that these people don't necessarily uh, agree with everything we do 
but they know that this is something. And that is what I really appreciate. Like, they didn't cast us off. They didn't say, oh, well, those guys act like this or say this or do this. They said, hey, yeah, we'll come to this conference. And they all felt it. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was just great. Like, I mean, I, I, at, the, at the winter ball or whatever dance, uh, drinking, hanging out party at the end of it, Jen Smith came up to me and goes, let me ask you a question. How are you at Mars Hill and you are such a smart ass? <laughs> I was like, oh, no. But she was saying it in a good way. She was like, how did you How did you make it there and all this stuff? And I told her about my experience there and all this stuff. She was being funny and nice, but I, I just thought, this is so cool. Like, it, some of the jokes I made were probably off color, or we said profanity from the stage, or we did this, or I walked out and did a, uh, you know, a Phantom of the Opera intro thing, or, or whatever it might be. All the things we did, we got to be ourselves. Right. Like, Literally, there was a conference, and you could even call it a Christian conference, where every there wasn't anything hidden. Like people drank too much, probably. I'm assuming from the pictures I saw in the club and stuff like that. People uh, said tough stories. People uh, expressed real pain, real struggles, real bad things that are happening in their life. And some of the breakout groups, like the one that Dan Coke led, that I got to be a part of, I was like, man, these people are really their stories are just so hard and real and raw. And vulnerable, and so I loved that about this conference. Like it, like as far as show and lights and big band and all this crazy stuff that's happening, it wasn't that. But it was like the most real thing I've ever been to. I've been to several conferences, and by far, I felt like I got to be a part of this one. Like the other ones, I I attend and I watch, but I got to be a part of it. Like it was, even though I was a leader in this. I was a part of it, not right. not the leader or the guy or the thing. Like so much so. We had planned to do a Bad Christian Live podcast at the end to end it all, and we're like, we don't need to do this. Right. Do it, we yeah. don't need to. Like, we, it, it almost it seems silly. Like, it had been so great, and people had been there for all day and all this stuff. I was like, yeah, why would we make them sit through what they listen to now or whatever? Like, I want them to enjoy, cut up, go get dressed, That's come right. out back for the party and everything. And it was so great because we di- I didn't even feel the need to do that. Like, I didn't. We didn't save it or even we didn't need to be the big splash. Though, oh, here's the podcast. This is awesome. Like, it was just so. Great. I, I just, it, I, I said this then and I still believe it. This is almost like a pinpoint or a turning point of my life. Like, I can't believe that after all the things we've said to each other and talked about, we're here. Like, I, I don't even know, I don't remember if we talked about it from stage or not, Joey, but you and I were having this conversation. There was a long time ago where Joey and I sat, uh, I, I, he was in South Carolina. I was in uh, uh, Maple Valley, Washington. This is before Emory even blew up or anything. We were having a conversation about, for some reason, we just thought we would start a church or we would do something one day that would just maybe change the world in a way or be huge. And what we were thinking was too small. Like, it it was too small. It was like the the system. It was the church system. It was everything that eventually we would start to go, wait a minute, start to question. And now I see it so much more that it doesn't even revolve around me. And what we're doing here, other people are doing it too. And people listening right now are going to do things. And it's not... This centralized thing that bad Christian is that will change the world. No, it's just it's, we're a part of it. Absolutely. We're a part of it. So it's way yeah. bigger than me leading anything or being mm-hmm. the leader or doing anything. Like I get to be a part of it. Yeah, all we I mean, all we've the, done is kind of aggregate and connect people in a decentralized way, and they are out. This was hundreds of people, which feels like a lot when right. you actually see them. Yeah. Then, then you go back, and again, that conference was one twentieth of how many people are listening right now. Not to mention right. how many people are listen ever or in total. So it's crazy because when you see 200 people and you realize, man, these people are out there doing that and what they represent globally, it's a right. gigantic community. And all we right. do is just, yeah, 
I mean, it, it, even if I think all the way back about everything and what happens in the club and are we responsible for what happens? No, we're not responsible, really. It's just we're helping, let, you know, get it out there and but not, with, we're not in control of it. But with that being that, said... But with that being said, we're gonna we're gonna sell some shares today. So I want to, <laughs> we're going so public. <laughs> hey, listen, listen to this. I mean, this pretty much wraps it up. Pete Pete ends basically uh, it responded to an email and said, "Man, it really was a special thing that you guys did." Blah blah blah. Gave some compliments and said, "And also, by the way, all three of you need some professional mental help badly." <laughs> <laughs> maybe so but i thought that's I, probably true i also thought it was really cool uh and i don't know if he would appreciate me saying it this way but he he kind of pulled so like just a, go ahead and do it anyway yep he he kind of pulled a, a dad move like one of the first <laughs> things he said to me is he kind of took me to the side and he said how did that social media stuff uh end up like how are you guys doing what did it amount to and he really was genuinely concerned and even said you know i, I thought about saying something and um, you know, basically said he has seen people completely taken down, you know, by these same folks that say what they say and, you know, kind of have some extreme of folks, points of view. These types of folks, not by these same folks. Yeah. Yeah. But, man, meeting Derek Miner and just how cool he was. Oh, and, he was I so mean, great, I, too. That, that oh, dude has good. to have probably the best personality I've ever met. And, uh, you know, just seeing Dan Koch, McDonald, just everybody, Daniel Dopp, Reva, everybody being together, doing something together. Nate super Henry. cool. Wow. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. No, I take it very the the I take it very seriously that I would just say in particular Pete and Jonathan Merritt. Oh man, uh, came to the to the conference. That means endorsed something. what we do, support. <laughs> us. I mean, it wouldn't be. I, I'm certain that there must have been a time between the announcing of the conference and the conference where it went in their mind, should I be there? Yeah. I, there's no doubt. I know it did. Right. I know they thought about it, and we didn't have to talk them off a ledge, and they didn't express it to us. But there, certainly, with everything that went off between the announcement and the conference itself, it had to cross probably everybody's mind. Should I be there? How is this a good look for me or a bad look for me? Will this affect me negative? Is going to get me in this day and age where ever, getting lumped in with something is the same as being something? Yeah, you know. Well, and let so, me give you let me give you a perfect example. I, I of just why. appreciate them just just tremendously. They they're men of integrity and people that have backbone, and I appreciate it. Yeah, and and here's a perfect example of why that's so important. Is in a panel that I was doing on marginalized people, I kept saying on behalf, like, what should we do on behalf of marginalized people? And if Jonathan Merritt wasn't there, nobody would have said this. He said, I don't like how you are saying that. And it wasn't in a antagonistic way. It was, I'm going to point something out. You probably shouldn't even be saying it that way because it sounds like these people that we need to help. And so that, to me, just highlighted why it is important for people that may not, and, and Jonathan Merritt I don't think would be in this category. In some regards, he would. But it's so important for people to come who don't agree because that's stuff that we can learn from, which, you Explain know. that a little bit more just in detail. What you're saying, is there a better way to say it, or what did he... Well, so so basically my question, and I, I accidentally changed it how I was saying it. The question was, uh, how, how do... What does the gospel look like when it comes to marginalized people? And basically what I asked was, what does the gospel look like on behalf of marginalized people? And he said, I'm a little uneasy with the wording on behalf of marginalized people because it seems like 
we're these awesome guys and we want to help these people that need our help mm-hmm. instead of let's just stand side by side with each other. You know, it's yeah. we're like we're, they're this yeah. other. Yeah, you, you, exactly. the way you speak about them almost further marginalizes them. Exactly. Using that exactly. Yeah, and and that, I that, thought that, that needed to be said. That totally needed to be yeah. said. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's why we we're glad he's there, right. among many other things. But yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I feel good. I'm back to caught up with you guys. We're back into normal life here. So let's, uh, Toby, you want to tell him who our next guest is before, before he comes on here? Yeah, this is Cyril, and he is awesome. Um, he runs an organization where they help uh, fathers who are in prison. He, his whole goal really is to even shut down some prisons, make less prisons, and connect fathers with their children. And because uh, he realized that it creates a cycle. When you don't have a dad, your dad's in jail. It can seriously, the odds and the stats are unreal about how you might end up in jail, especially in the black community. It, it's just, it's a lot of you have heard, but I, I kind of have a start of uh, growing uh, awareness and uh, trying to learn more and more about our prison system and, and how really screwed up it is. And, and it, especially for the black community, almost exclusively for the black community, it is really a bad situation. And there's this cycle of just keeping folks in jail all the way to the kids. So he's just, he just knows so much and just such a good guy and really uh it's just doing it to change things he's you know not not to get rich or he sees the problem i think matt you said he sees the problem and he's working on the problem he's not you know uh benefiting it or or making it this issue he goes oh here's a problem let's see if i can work it this way Mm -hmm. so he's gonna be great and real quick i want to give a quick shout out to the bc club thank you guys for supporting the conference you support us enough my lord and then you flew out yeah. there drove out there so drove out there so you we drove yeah we drew you drove thank you that's a different Dro- kind of that's a different kind of vehicle these days we've heard of it i can validify that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah i appreciate it well uh, last thing is we did it a lot of people missed this because at the very very end of the party but one other special announcement that i wanted to make oh, yeah. is details coming on this but with all the support we have, with all the stuff we're trying to do, we've been saying these kinds of things for a long time that we want to do more video and other things like that. We're going to try to make a documentary. Uh, we announced it. We already have a trailer for it, and that trailer will launch pretty soon. Uh, I'm not going to say the exact launch date, but it'll be in the next, I don't know, week or two. So you'll hear more about it. But we're going to try to make a documentary film about the Christian music industry and how eh, weird it can be. Uh but we hadn't made the film yet, but we already made the trailer, and we've already done some interviews about it, and we're optimistic it's going to be good. We're going to crowdfund it. We already have some funding coming in. We already have some money from support you guys have given, and we're going to try and crowdfund and see if we can make a little movie. So stay tuned about that uh, in, the, in the coming days, episodes, and weeks. Okay, so we'll cool. get to Cyril in just a second, but before that, I want to tell you about Quip. Now, the only people that need to listen to what I'm saying right now is a small group of people, just people that have mouths. Well... I suppose people have mouths and teeth. But if you're one of those few people that have a mouth and teeth, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying right now, and that is you got to take care of them. If you've managed this far to take care of your teeth without a Quip electric toothbrush, I don't know how, but I'm about to make your life a lot easier. I just got my Quip toothbrush, and it's terrific. It totally changes the way that I brush my teeth. Well, I brush my teeth in a similar way, but the way my mouth feels all day is significantly different. It's a lot closer to that feeling after you go to the dentist for the deep cleaning than scrubbing myself with my old, you know, bristle brush. So when when you're cleaning something, I hope the people at Quip don't mind me explaining it this way, all you're doing is knocking loose stuff. Most of all, washing and cleaning is just dislodging things from where they are currently. And a vibrating toothbrush is much more efficient at doing that. And 
The Quip toothbrush packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slim design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric toothbrushes. It's so sleek. And it's so nice, and you're going to really love this thing. It comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror. It unsticks, and you can carry it with you for travel anywhere and go in your gym bag. Um, it's incredible. And because the thing that cleans your mouth also should be clean, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering a new brush head every three months for just $5, and that's including shipping worldwide. Quip's backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, dentists, hygienists, dental students, stuff like that. Most toothbrushes don't get named Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but this one did, and you got to find out for yourself why. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com, dot com slash bad Christian right now you'll get your first refill pack free with a quip electric toothbrush that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash bad Christian spelled g-e-t-q-u-i-p dot com slash bad Christian so tell us a little bit about your 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 story Cyril like where where you come from how you were where you lived early tell us a little bit about that because it's just a fascinating story absolutely I mean the thing is uh Many of you, the, the listeners may have uh, known the World Vision or a Compassion International where, you know, they send like a $30, $35 all the way to third world countries like China, India, Japan, and so on. Uh, I was the kid on the other end. Somebody took a $30, $35 sent all the way to India so that one day I will become a senior vice president at Bank of America, right? So uh, the thing is... <laughs> That in itself is like a miracle, you know, how God can just like, you know, tailor our lives, you know. But uh, the way it happened for me is like I came into this country in 93, you know, uh, to work for a company called Bank of America. And uh, and the thing is, like a few months later, after coming over, uh, I wanted to buy a computer. And so I went to uh, order a computer and that, uh, you know, guy said... It's fourteen seventy five. So I took like a fifteen hundred dollar bills, went to the store. Uh, to to my surprise, the guy didn't have a change for a hundred dollars. You know, so I left uh, that day to just like get some change downstairs. Uh, you know, and then when I came back, actually that store, uh, you know, uh, was taken over by a bunch of guys. You know, at a gunpoint, and I happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know. But, you know, that night, you know, the experience of like, you know, going through uh, at a gunpoint, you know, you, you saw, uh, you know, that night uh, is like a, a real near death, you know, somebody holding a gun to your head and you almost lost the life. And uh, God just used that experience, you know, that night to just like for me, uh, when I came out of it, you know, it is almost like, uh, you know, my life was spared that night. And so that's how I just got myself involved with this ministry of looking into the lives of the guys uh, that are serving time inside the prison. So you started looking into it and then just, I mean, tell us what you found. The, the thing that's interesting to me is I've really been been looking into and reading several books about uh, the cultures of prison, the like... Uh, the offset of how many young black men end up in prison and some of the numbers that you have and the uh, stats and stuff are just heartbreaking. It's crazy. 
Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, the 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 industry they call prison an industry for a reason, you know, because today we are spending about eighty nine billion dollars of the U.S. money every single year into this industry, right? Every day, you know, um, we are, you know, the, the the industry is continuing to grow exponentially, right? And the thing what puzzled me when I started looking at this is 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 very simple, you know, that the the industry when uh, when when Chuck Colson uh, started Prison Fellowship in uh, uh, in 1974 or 75, when he he came out of uh, you know the Watergate scandal, right? Yeah, that was the first time people even talked about prison industry in public because. There was this notable person who just got arrested, came out and said, like, oh, my God, this is not right. Right. So when when he started prison fellowship, we had only two hundred and fifty thousand people in prison. That was 1975. But did today, you say did you just say two hundred and fifty thousand? Yeah. Oh, my there was God. only two hundred and fifty thousand people in prison in 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 1975. That's insane. And now. Today we have 2.3 million people in prison. Good. We gosh. have 7.4 million people go in and out of the criminal justice system every day today. 7.4 million. The, the thing is that you know the country did not grow by 740 percent for us to have this many people go to prison every day. Yeah. So wow. what I'm saying is like you know we are you know. Every single day, we are sending over 4,500 children below the age 18, you know, into a criminal justice system, right? And that, you know, if you multiply by 365 days, you know, we're talking about 1.6 million children below the age 18 get experienced into a prison or a jail or some criminal justice system. So we're losing 1 million children to abortion. Now we are losing 1.6 million to ch- children to, to go into a prison or some criminal justice system. Good gosh. What puzzled me the most is uh, how the African-American population is impacted by this. And we kind of like a lose sight of it because, you know, we're not paying attention to how big the hole we're digging right now because the, the the statistics shows that you know any african american child male child that does not complete high school education has a 70 to 80% chance to go to prison man that's terrible 70 to 80% yeah that's so crazy. the that's the crazy. odds are stacked up against them. Now, right? what, what do you, if you attribute? Don't finish what, high school. Now, what what are your go tos with uh, what you attribute that? Like, for example, I, I don't know if uh, a lot of people have been educated in this by a uh, Netflix documentary called The Thirteenth, and that right there, Correct. that right there was the most eye opening thing. And and uh, shame. Well, I don't want to put shame on myself, but regrettably, my eyes were not open to this until watching that documentary. And I probably saw it a year and a half, two years ago, to where there is. It, it just, I don't know how else you can call it, but systematic slavery of the 21st century. I mean, what do you attribute Absolutely. it to? Is this tied with like marijuana? I mean, something that simple? No. Is this tied to ra- racist cops or what? 
No, sir. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think this is even, uh, you know, can be attributed to an African-American population. What happened is, uh, if I just go back to when the, the numbers spiked, right? It right. was during the, the early 1900s, I mean, 1990s, you know, when we had, you know, all this, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, the, the, the reforms that we were putting in place, like a war on drugs, and uh, two strikes, you're out, you know, or three strikes, you're out. That's when this number spiked, right? And if I just go back to look at it, you know, now, uh, you know, what, what has happened is the people that were impacted the most by those kind of reform or, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the things, the, the rules that we put in place, you know, were the biggest impact that was felt was in the African American community. So the biggest okay. impact was the African American community, you said? Yes. Yeah. And so what happened is it's a snowball from that point. If 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 I look at you know the number of all the inmates that are serving time in prison today, right? Eighty five percent of those are, are, are that are serving time today grew up without fathers. Right. Right. So the issue is actually the fatherlessness is what is causing the, 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 the next generation to follow the footsteps of their fathers. Mm-hmm. So Cyclical now, at that point. yeah, so what happened is we put so many of these, you know, when, when, uh, when uh, uh, President Clinton came into office, you know, we had 300,000 people in prison. But, you know, when he left the office, we got like a 1.2 million people in prison. Right? So we got like a, added like a 900,000 people during that period. I'm not saying that President Clinton is wrong or a bad president. What I'm saying is there were some policies that we put in place impacted the African-American community very adversely, right? So now in 2017 and 2018, we are paying for the policies we put in early 1990s. So... What is impacting them, you know, if we go to the stem of this problem, we took some African-American men, put them in prison. Now we are paying price for it because their children are following the, the footsteps of their fathers. If we have taken a Caucasian male and did the same thing, or if we have taken like, a, you know, an Asian or an, a Jewish community to do this, we would have seen their community following the same thing. Right. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that Clinton's policies, and, and, and not necessarily Clinton wasn't trying to do this against the African-Americans, you know, it, it wasn't on purpose, but his policy, we're paying the price today, and it's it's uh cyclical in that people are going to jail following the footsteps of their fathers. And you said the policies, if they were uh, directed towards uh, Jewish folks or Asian folks, the same thing would be happening. But what what are those specific uh, policies that affect African-Americans specifically? There, there were two things that affected them the most. Number one, the war on drugs that we had in the early 1990s, right? Yeah. So what we did is, you know, anyone that was selling drugs or, you know, in, in, inwardly, you know, involved in the, the drugs industry, right? Right. Were put into prison. That was number one. Number two, you know, the two strikes you're out or the three strikes you're out, several states were following that, right? Yeah. And so yeah. what happened is like, you know, 
we sent a whole bunch of people into prison and it so happened the most impacted were the african american people so so why why was that they were they targeted or the, i mean what's the reason they're the most impacted no no it most wasn't targeted it just so happened they they were part of that cycle right mm-hmm. so now what is happening is like there are two things that are happening number one you know we lost a lot of men in that cycle and that's why today there is one other statistics that says if you're an african american male child born today your chance of going into prison one out of three african american male child that is born today will go to prison jail or some criminal justice system one out of three terrible right it is because you know of the cycle that we created for them so the odds are stacked up against them right now mm-hmm. right then yeah. the second thing is like you know lack of education what happens is like you know in this country one out of eight kid that goes to elementary school does not complete high school right one out of eight that goes to elementary does not complete high school and that is about 6.6 million children that are dropping out of high school or schooling system every single year right mm-hmm. so the correlation that we find is that you know if you happen to be an african american child and you're dropping out of school right then yeah. your yeah. chance of going into a prison or jail is about 80% Gosh, gosh. Now, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to figure out too, though, is, uh, you, I mean, you have. To, I'm, I'm trying not to pat ourselves on the back, but you're talking to th- to three guys that definitely do want to learn. We're constantly trying to uh, watch for our own blind spots and our own presuppositions. But what what would keep uh, someone who is very closed minded? Let's let's just say someone who's prejudiced against black people. What would keep someone from saying? Well, you know, we're sorry about the cycle, but uh, black men shouldn't have had drugs in the early 1990s. Like, I guess I lean a little more towards it seems like there's some unfairness there. Now, I don't see any unfairness if there's drug laws that apply to everybody, and it just so happens that a lot of uh, black men were the ones uh, violating. But I, don't, I guess I don't see it that clear. It seems as if there, there was something a little more crooked that specifically affected uh, African Americans. Is, is, is that not the case? The case? So I, I, I think, uh, you know, we should look at this problem completely differently. Okay. You know, what I'm saying is like, you know, yeah, there were some men made mistakes. They're in prison, Right. But right. that's not what is feeding the system today. Uh, what is feeding uh, uh, the system today is actually their children. Right. So what is happening is like if we don't tighten that pipeline of stopping their children from going into prison, what happens is that we are going to start feeding the system constantly. So what I'm working on is like, you know, how can we stop their children and children's children from going into prison? Right. Right. So the first thing that is happening right now is that because their father is in prison, now the statistic says 70 to 80 percent of the children that has a father or mother in prison will go to prison themselves. Mm -hmm. So if we can stop their children from coming into prison, what I'm saying is like, you know, 
yeah, the father has made a mistake, you know. Um, you know, it so happened they, they are African-American, you know, in this situation. But if we can help their children from stop following the footsteps of their fathers, then we can save the next generation from making the same mistake, yeah. number one. Yeah. Number two, what happens is like, you know, we're still looking at the, the African-American population with the same lens. Instead, if we can help get out of our soapbox and say, you know, these children have done nothing wrong. If we can help their moms, you know, who are working two or three jobs to go to work, to, to, to save their families, if we can help them break the cycle, mm -hmm. then the next generation, this will not become a generational curse. So you don't you th this is definitely something that affects mostly African Americans but you don't see this as a result of race racism. Absolutely not sir. Gosh because, that's that's interesting. That that's eye opening for me. Because you know we have wrongly slated the African American people as the problem. We are thinking this is an African American problem. The problem is not this is not an African American problem. This is fathers not being yeah. at home problem. You're saying right. it would have happened regardless of the people group if they got the head start by fathers being it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the group would have been. Any group that wound up accidentally getting started with a bunch of fathers being locked up would, would therefore increase. Correct. Absolutely. So if we can bring the fathers back into the lives of these children, then we could stop this cycle from continuing. And that's what we are doing in Proverbs 2 to 6. We take the children into the prison, mm -hmm. right? And we spend the whole day with their fathers inside the prison. We rekindle and reconstruct the relationship with their children and their father. And the Bible says, you know, he will turn the hearts of the fathers towards their children and heart of the children towards their fathers. Yeah. You know, so what we are doing is like we are taking the children into the prison and the fathers get on their knees and ask for forgiveness from their children by washing their feet. Holy cow. Wow. <laughs> when we do that, you know, it changes the perspective, not only the heart of the father, but also the heart of the child. And that's why, brothers, you know, we started this journey five years ago, right? In one prison in South Carolina called Kershaw Correctional, mm -hmm. right? Ever since we started, we have 890 fathers that have signed up into this program, right? Out of which we got 327 that has been released from prison since 2011, mm -hmm. right? And the government statistics says... 70% of those men will come back into prison in the first 60 to 90 days. Hard to believe. That's what the statistic says. The recidivism is at 70% nationally. But 70? 70% recidivism? Yeah. So, so 228 out of the 327 should have come back into prison in the first 90 days. But the fathers who washed the children's feet only six out of the 327 has come back into prison. Dang, man. That is, that's unbelievable. This is that's an empirical evidence that the forgiveness of the fathers are so critical for that child to do well in school. 
it is so important also for the fathers not to return back into the prison. Gosh, I mean, I mean, what what you're what you're giving these families? I mean, think about the think about the kids at school that basically that basically just have to say to their uh, friends like in a very impersonal way towards their father because they don't have a choice. It's just like, yeah, my dad, my dad, right. my dad's in jail. Well, did you ever get to know? Right. Him? No, actually, I was two when he went to jail. But now these right. kids that you're talking about, they get to say, yeah, my dad's in jail, but I really love him. Let me tell you about him. Like, listen to what he right. likes and listen to his interests. And I can't wait. He's going to get out soon, and, and we're going to have a relate. I mean, that is a freaking it's game phenomenal. changer. Mm-hmm. That's just that's absolutely just, just good. Gosh, when I started this journey in 2011, right? I, I, I first, you know, my goal was to help these children to go to college, you know? Why? Because there is a statistics that says if you drop out of high school, your chance of going into prison is like one out of eight will go to prison, right? But if you are a, a, a college graduate or, a, you know, you go to college, then your chance is one out of hundred, right? Better. So wow. I thought if I send them over to college, then it diminishes their chance of going into prison. So I called and found out out of the the number of children that were signed up, there were 59 kids that were in the age group of 15 through 18. So when I called those families, I found out that 30 out of the 59 were already in prison. Mm -hmm. And 19 of them were pregnant, could not go to school. Nine of them were doing sixth and seventh grade when they were supposed to do like 11th or 12th grade. So I could not find one kid in 2011 that can go to college. But because these fathers have taken time to wash their children's feet, the second year I was able to find three kids Uh that I can send them to college. Then I was able to find eight kids the following year. Then I was able to find 25 kids the following th- the year. And this last year, I was able to send 45 kids to college through the wow. scholarship of wow. Proverbs 26. That's because the fathers have taken time to erase uh, the shame from the lives of these children. That's unreal. Sarah, is, are there any, I just had a curiosity, and this would be, this is kind of a depressing thought, but are there any fathers that have this opportunity presented to them and they turn it down? Like, they're just like, I don't want to see my kids? Uh, the, the, more than the fathers that doesn't want to see their kids, it's the families that are impacted by this. They they are very angry at this guy yeah. who's inside the prison, yeah. right? So they don't really want to be part of this life. Or that mom moves on and she gets married to somebody else. And the new man that she has in her life says, I don't want to have any baggage from the past, right? So there is some resistance to come back in. So it's the families that are resisting a little bit. But you know what, brothers? You know, I've been on the road knocking on the doors at these families to tell them that the guy who is inside the prison is not the same guy that went in. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. One of the questions I want to ask you about with like recidivism, Recidivism. I'm saying it wrong. It's such a hard word for me to say. Recidivism. Um, also, there are there are prisons that are for profit, meaning the the system Absolutely. actually wants these guys to come back, right? They, the system doesn't want these guys to go have a good life, right? Absolutely. See, the thing is that's why their odds are stacked against them. Why? Because you know what we are finding is that you know 
many states, the private prisons are less expensive than the state-owned prisons, right? So, mm. for example, in North Carolina, to keep somebody in prison, it costs about like a $31,000 to $33,000 a year, wow. right? Some states, like, you know, New York, it's like exorbitant, like over 100000 to keep an inmate inside the prison. So now these private prisons can accommodate and provide the same accommodation for $24,000 a year. So there is an increased visibility huh. to have, you know, private prisons to be built across this country. And so now the private prisons are coming up like mushrooms. Why? Wow. Why? Because we are growing this population. This is an industry that's growing. This is like a medical industry. This is like a banking industry. There is a year-over-year growth. The GDP, if somebody runs over this you know, industry, they will see this industry has a potential to grow. Yeah. Wow. So there are companies like a CCA, Correction Corporations of America, which is a privately owned companies building prisons across this nation. That is crazy. And so, and their, their uh, product or whatever is the prisoner. And so they want you to come back. They don't, they don't want to help. And it's lower. I mean, they're doing it for a lower cost or whatever it might be too. So that, that is crazy. So safe to say that rehabilitation, not not necessarily the focus of, or the incentive (laughs) of the people running it. Yeah. The people, yeah. The prisons are not about rehabilitation. They're about keeping the, the prisoner there to make money. It seems like in a lot of ways. And Cyril, didn't you say that, Two two questions. One is, I really do appreciate what you're saying here because I do see it as cyclical. Like, uh, you know, in, in a in say, t- take a, a poor African American community back in the '90s or whatever. Uh, like when they did three strikes year out or whatever the drug war, which I think is is just so terrible. They would send uh, a young African American who just got out of prison back, and what is their what are they even sending him back to? You know what I mean? They they didn't rehabilitate him, so then he's poor, and then he gets in, then he gets in the system, and he already has a strike against him, yeah. right? And so he's trying to make ends meet or make money for a family, and then all of a sudden you're in a cycle where you can't get out, and so it just keeps right. you in there, keeps you in there. But and then that is what I think is so phenomenal about what you're doing is. You are working with the children and with the families so that it can kind of break that cycle. And we haven't even Absolutely. said it yet, but what is, what is your organization and where can people find out about it too? Uh, my organization is called Proverbs 2 to 6. It's, it's from the book of uh, Proverbs, chapter 22, verses 6, that says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And the way people can find it is a Proverbs 2 to 6. Dot .org uh it's a, it's a, an organization that works purely with the children that has a father and mother in prison our goal is eventually to send these kids over to college and pay scholarship for these kids so that we can stop this cycle from happening but before we can even go into paying for their college or sending them a scholarship we need to Heal these children first. We need to reconstruct that relationship with that father because unless we bring the fathers back into the life of these children, the second part of like education will be very uh, limiting them, you know, because you still haven't uh, addressed their anger. You still haven't addressed their shame. 
-hmm. you know, you haven't still addressed their, their hole, you know. So we are building them across this, you know, to, to, to get their relationship restored. And then the, the byproduct of that is sending them over to college uh, and get educated. That is awesome. Well, Cyril, I just think the information that you have and the work that you're doing is just phenomenal. I, I really do appreciate it. And we'd love to even have you back or, or talk more about this for sure, too, but just because it's to me, it's a uh, almost like a hidden issue. Everybody, when you think about prison, you think, oh, that all is keeping the bad guys away from me. And the truth is, it's right. not. It's, it's actually creating more of a problem. Like That's you're creating right. uh, people that can't get out of, of it and, and are doing all those things. So we really do appreciate the work you're doing, Cyril. Thank you, sir. Thanks for coming on today, man. Well, hopefully we can talk to you again with you in the future. Wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Matt and Toby Appreciate and Joseph. It. We'll see you now. Okay. Toby, that was good getting Cyril on here. I enjoyed that. I didn't even. I mean, yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, it, it, he is such a, a phenomenal guy. Like his story, I wish we'd had more time and better audio. Sorry. I know that uh, sometimes our audio situations are, are worse and I don't know if the listeners pick up on it or not, but uh his story, like seriously, he grew up in the like just poverty in India, and somebody sent thirty five dollars a month, and it brought him all the way to be like a, a vice president up in uh, like uh, Bank of America. It's just crazy. And then what's so neat about that is that you can, his life is that cycle, like the story of well coming from poverty, and he could have easily have been turned to crime or whatever because but because he got some help and somebody cared. You know, he ended up doing a lot, and now is returning. You know, re- returning that. But I just, I mean, the numbers. I, I think a little bit. Uh, he's so uh, he's trying to be uh, very encouraging to the African American community and stuff like that. But the numbers are just shocking, like uh, like incarceration rates. Like I just went on. Uh, I'm on NAACP.org, but it's just. I mean, it is crazy. Like the the discrepancy between like. Uh, the idea of just the difference between African Americans and, and white folks, the drug drugs, like getting incarcerated for drugs, uh, possession or whatever it might be. And it might not always be prison. Like it's not that necessarily the numbers don't show that everybody always goes to prison for marijuana or whatever, but just like high rates of like, uh, like the, like the drug war got super hard on having cocaine. Like if you had cocaine, you went to jail for like 10 years instead of, you know, yeah. a little bit of time or whatever. Like the drug war is a failure, and it's and then the the three strikes are out because obviously it isn't rehabilitation. So if you're a criminal trying to make you know trying to you're using you're stealing or selling or whatever it might be, uh, you go right back to it because there's yeah. nothing else. What do you do to get out of it? There's no, there isn't a way out. It is just horrible. It's horrific. Like the more and more I read about it, and you're right. Like the like the thirteenth joy you're reading, and I'm reading reading a book right now. Um, just about how prisons and this system is kind of like the new slavery. Like it is bizarre. Like in the uh, early 1900s, it, this this is after uh, the the slaves have been freed and everything. You could actually uh, like in this is one of the stories is the in Alabama they could a corporation could actually hire a criminal a, a prisoner um, for like next to nothing and just work them to death like every waking hour like it yeah. was it's the exact same thing a company goes here's I'll buy this slave basically and use them however I want and you know there's like mass graves and all kinds of stuff everywhere and it's just the more and more I hear about it it's one of the most issues where we've talked about this before where the, the thing that I'd like to you know put our money towards or our our mouths towards or whatever it might be to change because it's so it's just it's awful I like, feel like, like it said, seems like, solvable like it's there's definitely progress right. to make here that's on the easy side so I'll tell you what it was kind of convicting 
even about the way he talks is he's a positive person looking for solutions and what he can do to help. And I know that what I was anticipating was just getting on there and complaining about the problems, which is a, a very different thing <laughs> right. than it is to try to help or put something together. This is no agenda here. This guy's not race motivated right. or activism motivated. He's, I mean, solution motivated to this actual issue. Uh, maybe that is activism, but nonetheless, it, it's, it's good. Uh, because it's solution based and it's rational. I mean, I, I really dig that. I, I, I still I can't help but get out of the loop of whose fault it is. I, I guess that's where we always get stuck. But of course, I think it's the government's fault. I think it's the politicians' fault and the voters' fault because that tough on crime thing is just so like there's no way to vote for not tough on crime. So as soon as somebody right. uh, a candidate wants to claim the territory of we'll keep these criminal, you're just fear-based motivating everybody and it will get you elected and then it'll go on the books and it'll hurt those people and it's your fault for voting for that and falling for that and being motivated by fear of course the politicians are going to use that psychological tactic to get your vote and that's what they've done here and they don't care that they don't that's that's how they use that mentality and it's the same one everybody is is broadly a good person but when it comes to stuff like and I, you know, I think the education system is not that far off the prison system because there's a lot of parallels. But same thing, you don't care about the bad school in your neighborhood. You don't care about it. You only care as, as long as your kid doesn't have to go there. Yeah, right. And it's, it feels similar to me in that way. It's like, I agree. Yeah, I know that's a bad, actually a bad school, but so I'm going to make sure my kid doesn't go there. And I, it's just like you're abandoning a whole person or a group of people or a system when you just get manipulated. Like, like when it comes down to the fear, you're willing to just do the selfish thing for you, and that's all you have the capacity to do. But to fix any of these problems, you have to have the capacity to think about the group and everybody together and not be motivated by what you're scared of, you know? Now, now don't y'all think that it's... Uh, I, I don't know if it's just modern culture or the I'll call it this don't y'all think the common consensus would disagree with him as far as African Americans being targeted maybe, maybe. Yeah, oh yeah for sure but see but that's I, not yeah. here nor there it's like that's not his concern more than he's right. saying I disagree I think I think he's just focused on the solution so right. I, I, but, but that's know. the yeah that's the that is the good point there if it there, I do believe there's racism. I do believe yeah, there's some kind of system factor. that's against everybody. He's focused on the solution, which yeah, is what right. we don't do this day and age. Right. I mean, it's re- it's really crazy. Like, I mean, the numbers for sure show. Like that's what I was saying. I was I was just just a quick glance. I mean, it it is crazy. Like, how about this? The imprisonment rate for African American women is twice that of white women. African Americans are incarcerated at more than five times the rate of whites. This one it just blows my mind. In 2014, African Americans constituted 2.3 million, or 34 percent of the total 6.8 million mm-hmm. correction in the correctional facilities. I mean, obviously there's a racial disparity, and so that's what I'm saying. Like those systems, that's what he's talking about. It's not necessarily he's not going after the president. He's not talking bad about anybody. He's not. He's yeah. like, let's just fix it, yep. which I really appreciate. <laughs> that's what we got to do because yep. I mean, it, it is bizarre. It's it's not it's horrific. Yeah, and as, as far as it goes to the for profit part, that is that's that's kind of vile. The, the for profit prisons oh, the incentive. Know. However, it's certainly worth noting and pointing out that once again we have a corporation thing that's you know borderline evil that is still allowed and set up and ultimately the fault of the government for creating a monopoly that's you know they have the lobbyists. It's it's the governmental influence of the companies and the government's ability to be manipulated by companies that that allows for things like monopolies and for-profit prisons and these things. So it's still politically related and vote-related and the corruption-related. Yeah. I mean, that's how that's what it really 
boils down to. From But again, yeah. that's neither here nor there. I guess we can think about that in our voting habits and what we do politically, which I'm not one to talk, but at least we can help these kids you, one at a you time. You actually are one to talk. I am one to talk. <laughs> I didn't mean that facetiously. I'm saying I'm one to talk. Oh, I see. Yeah, that wasn't sarcasm. I am one to do the talking. I'll tell you this, man. I'm just, oh my gosh. When he paints the picture of what actually happens with their kids and their dad, I, I, I can't do anything with myself, man. My, I get tears in my eyes, a lump in my throat, and I'm yeah. like, good gosh, we didn't, we didn't, man. I that, know, we didn't get all into it, but he even does like... Uh, some of the girls get, and uh, even sons too, uh, the daughters get to go do like a daddy daughter dance. And I mean, some of these guys are never getting out. Like they're in a lot, they're lifetimes, but it is actually adding the compassion and the heart back to something that has totally been taken away. Like it literally is. When you think of prisons, the idea is bad guys. Yeah, they're all bad. They're this, this, and this. And I mean, I, I, and I mean, it's not like that. Like I'll even give a plug for Joey's uh, podcast, Pastor with No Answers. You interviewed a drug dealer and you, I mean, Regardless of what you think about his profession and what, you know what he's doing, like there, the guy is a human and has a heart in, right. in a way, you know. And so, like taking that, taking the humanity away from from prisoners is what's really dangerous. Then they just become its or things and not humans anymore, and it's just so dangerous. And when you think, man, they have kids and they're a dad or a mom, whatever it might be, it's just crazy. And he's they've shut down some prisons. That's what's pretty cool. Like he's been working so hard that some prisons had to close because they didn't need them anymore. And it's just like, wow. It's phenomenal. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.